If we look back at how our ancestors ate, even pre-agricultural to when we were hunting, foraging, and gathering, we were eating by the seasons and would have naturally went in and out of ketosis depending upon the season and the foods that were available. Welcome to episode number 128 of the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, your host, where we focus on teaching and helping families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural and self-sufficient home. As self-sufficiency, modern homesteaders, people who just plain care about the natural way of doing things, it's really important that we understand how our foods fuel and work with or against our bodies so that we can make the very best choices for us. Our genetics and our lifestyle all play a part in this, including if we have health conditions already, and sometimes we have multiple health conditions, but such as hormonal imbalances, thyroid disease, diabetes, heart and cardiovascular issues, stomach issues, The good news is that we can reverse a lot of these things with the food that we eat. Now, this is part three of our series. So if you have not listened to our previous episodes, episode number 126, which is part one, and that's how to heal stomach acid naturally. So it was my story, how I got off of taking prescription stomach acid medications up to six times a day, completely healed my stomach and have never went back which then segues right into part two, which was episode number 127. And that was how to find your trigger foods, talking about different elimination diets, finding out what specifically is causing issues within your body, and our introduction to the ketogenic diet and if it's something that's right for you. Now, this is part three, and y'all had a lot of really, really good questions. So I brought on Dr. Hillary Lampers today to really dive into these issues. And you guys, this is a fascinating episode. It's on the longer side normally than we have on the Pioneer Today podcast, but there was nothing that I felt that we could cut out. I thought it was all such good information to have. So we're going to be talking about how to eat and live seasonally with your diet for better all health. Plus answering all of the questions that you guys sent in about keto and about your diet, including hormone imbalances, how to avoid the keto flu, if you have diabetes, heart conditions, high cholesterol, some of those other things, how to go about doing the keto diet, if you should even do the keto diet, and if it's safe. So this is a jam-packed episode, and we are going to dive straight in. I am thrilled to have on the podcast today, Dr. Hillary Lampers. Also, you may know her and her husband, Ryan. They have the Stealthy Hunter podcast. She is a doctor and naturopath who has been practicing. She has a clinic in Snohomish County for over 10 years. I am so excited to have you on today. Welcome. Thank you, Melissa. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So Hillary and I first met, actually, it was really cool. Her and her husband, Ryan, like I said, they have the podcast. And they contacted me because they don't live, well, too far away from me. When you live out rurally, you guys are about about an hour and a half away, I think, 
drive time? Yeah, we're a little bit closer to city life than you are. Yeah. <laughs> I think most people are. Yeah, you're yeah. out there. Yes, I'm way out in the booties. And so they came out actually to our house, to our homestead, to do a podcast episode. I got to be on their podcast. So when they were coming out, because I knew it was such a long drive, I had emailed Hillary and said, ahead of time, I'm going to have some stuff. I'm going to fix some lunch. Is there any dietary restrictions that I need to be aware of? And she wrote back and said, no, not really. But if we could do gluten sensitivities were something to consider. And I'm like, okay, well, so neither of us knew at the time that we were doing this exchange that we were both actually doing the keto diet. So I was already fixing soup that was keto friendly and just wanted to make sure anything extra that I could have. So when Hillary and Ryan came over and, and we start dishing up and we start eating before we were recording, I mentioned that I was already fixing food this way because I was doing the keto diet and Hillary's and I just, long story short, we geeked out because we were both doing keto and exclaiming over how awesome and amazing and all the stuff that we were learning and observing about the way we felt. And so I'm like, okay, you have to come on my podcast so that we can talk about keto and not just keto but also how what we eat, the foods we eat that we put into our body, how they affect us, how they play obviously into our overall health, but our hormones as well and our gut health. So that is kind of in a nutshell. You know, keto right now is very trendy topic. We had said kind of, we're talking about that before, at least in the diet space. It is traditionally a diet that was used, you know, I learned about it in medical school, mainly for children who had epileptic seizures that was not responsive to medication. We found that when you had these children eat very high fat, very low carb, moderate protein diets, that they stopped having seizures. And that's really the only time we ever talked about keto, the ketogenic diet when I was in medical school. So that was just 10, 15 years ago. And in the last, I would say, couple years, especially, we've seen this explosion in regular everyday people that are not having refractive seizures, <laughs> looking to keto, the ketogenic diet to improve all types of things like you said before, gut health, weight loss, to work directly with their genetic makeup for brain health and cognitive function. So it's a great topic, but it's also, there's a lot of information out there. And truthfully, it's kind of overwhelming. You can go now, it's so much information on the internet. And I am constantly still doing my research because it's a fairly new thing for me as well, at least in clinical practice and using it myself, playing with it myself a little bit. That's awesome. One of the things that I wanted to talk about with the keto diet, and especially in relation to homesteaders or, you know, self-sufficiency, because that's what myself, you know, categorize mm -hmm. with, and the weight loss aspect and really the fatigue and brain fog for me was top priority. I mean, weight loss is awesome too, and I, and I do like it for that. But for me, it was in just my overall health, my energy levels, and my digestive issues really clear up when I'm doing keto. But one of the things, and Hillary actually, when I was on her and Ryan's podcast, made this observation, and I've really been thinking about it and kind of researching a little bit more, and I love it. And so I want to bring it up a little bit and talk about it, is that the keto diet really follows an ancestral type of eating, that pattern where you go by the seasons of, you know, what food would have been available 
locally because back then we didn't have supermarkets where we were shipping food from all corners of the earth and everything like that. But that in the wintertime, you would have been eating the higher fat, moderate protein and lower carb because in most climates, you're not be able to grow a lot. You don't have fresh fruit coming on this time of year. It's the time of this recording. It's the end of January. But then in the, the summer and all of that, then you would have had your fresh fruit. So you would have fallen out of the state of ketosis because you would have been having more carbs. But then in the wintertime, that's what your body would have burned that fuel off of. So I love that thought and really looking at the keto diet. And that's how I'm going to play with it this year myself is to eat more of those healthy carbs from fruits and vegetables, not refined grains and all that kind of stuff this spring mm-hmm. when it starts naturally coming in our garden. But I thought that was really interesting, a way to look at it and very true as well. What we see with the ketogenic diet is we're, we're kind of readapting our genetics to living seasonally. And I mean that because Typically, a ketogenic diet is going to be very high percent fat, right? Over 75, I mean, 70 to 80 percent fat. Carbohydrates are very low. And in in people who are doing it really strictly, you know, they're doing less than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day, which is very hard to do in our modern society. That's because we have so much access to simple carbohydrates that are kind of like empty calories. And we eat a lot more of those in our diet today than ever in history. Even if you're eating healthy and you're doing gluten-free and you know, you love to bake, I love to bake, you know, we're all eating kind of these empty, simple carbohydrates. These were not things that were around when our ancestors were hunting, gathering and foraging. We're talking even pre-agriculture here. We have developed so quickly as a species, but our genetics are really very similar to what they were thousands of years ago. If you think about even living seasonally, it's just that they, most people didn't have access to high sugary foods, especially all year round. So they were eating berries that they harvested, uh, maybe sweet tubers and root vegetables, certain fruits that grew locally in their area. They were eating those in possibly even drying those and spreading them out through the winter. It was animal products, fats, especially here like in the Northwest, salmon, whale blubber, all these things that people were eating in this cold, damp time of year that was keeping their energy up. It was not simple carbohydrates and sugar. We know that the brain functions, uh, it's glucose, it will preferentially want glucose before fat. That's what we have all kind of tuned ourselves into in the modern day diets that we have from just consuming way more carbohydrate, you know, simple carbohydrate and complex carbohydrate. You are getting more carbohydrate into your diet. And so the ketogenic diet is really kind of placing us is putting us in a position where our genetics have to function in a way that it's thinking that we are um, not going to have all this yummy glucose, sugary berries and all that six months from now. So it's, it's used to storing it, but then we start using fat as an efficient form of energy. I think if you're talking genetically, it's probably closer to our DNA That's why it it kind of works so well, I think, over time in helping people just feel clearer, feel better, feel stronger. 
and when you were talking about carbs, like for me now, every now and then, you know, I'll have a day where I will eat more carbs, you know, where I'm, I'm, you know, tracking what I'm eating. But for me to generally stay in the state of ketosis um, and feeling my best, I'm at about 25 grams of carbs per day is kind of where Mm-hmm. the sweet spot for me. And that, like I said, every now and then I'll, I can go up to 50 or 60. And if I just do it for one day occasionally with those extra carbs, then I will stay in ketosis. But I always kind of like to know, you know, like, well, what different people, how they are. So I've kind of found that to be my sweet spot. But one of the things I've noticed, especially with applying this to a homesteading type lifestyle is we're in the dead of winter here. And I mm-hmm. went back and doing strict keto. I started actually the first week of December. I might did it before Christmas. <laughs> and, You're tough. You're strong. Oh my I goodness. I had to because I had went to a pre-Christmas party over a weekend and I was so tired and exhausted, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it was like pitiful. I had to lay down and take a nap in the middle of the day. And I'm like, I cannot get done what I need to get done feeling like this. And I knew I knew it was the foods that I'd ate that I'd ate way too many carbs. And so I'm like, okay, we're just, we're going to get things back on track. But I've noticed since then, because I've been doing it all like two months straight now, and it's in the dead of winter. So I don't have very much coming out of my own garden. Actually, I have nothing really coming out of the garden. I have my fresh eggs. The hens have started laying again on a really regular basis, which has been lovely. But that's about the only thing I'm really getting off of my homestead as far as a daily harvest right now. But because so much of what we're able to grow here on on our homestead is primarily what I have preserved up as vegetables and some fruits, and then we raise all of our own meat. So I've got my lard and then grass-fed and organic as the practices that we use. My grocery bill has really went down. Now for my kids, they're still having, you know, I'm still baking homemade bread for the kids. My kids aren't on a ketogenic diet. So I will add in some complex carbs and complex greens and things like that as sides to their meals. Then my husband and I are just doing keto. But that's what was really fascinating to me is I'm like, wow, I'm actually using more of everything that we're able to produce or to preserve up from the year eating this way, and my grocery bills actually went down as compared to before. I was kind of excited Hmm. about that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a benefit for sure. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that you mentioned, and this I'm really super curious on, and then we do have questions that we'll answer from readers that readers and listeners sent in. But so you were talking about the genetic makeup and how we have evolved a lot but that our genetics aren't. And so how does our genetics, and I'm assuming that different people, obviously we have different genetics. How does that play into with the way that our body processes our fuel? Mm -hmm. So really an important thing to remember about genetics is that we all have genes and, but we all have them being expressed differently. And we have different variations of these genes. You get one allele from mom, you get one allele from dad, you and your siblings could have, you could have different mixtures of the same genetics, right? That's why you're never the same unless you're an identical twin, okay? And so we all have these genetic expressions that go on throughout our lifetime. And we do know with the study of genetics and epigenetics and nutrigenomics and kind of the whole study of how nutrition influences our genetics and how our environment influences our genetics is that the way that we express certain genes will also affect how we do on certain diets like this. I think that dieting in general, like picking like, you know, diets and saying, this is what I'm going to do is that what we learn over time is that 
some of us do really well on certain diets and some of us don't. And the question is, why is that? I would bet to say the first is that one, they're probably not being done properly. Maybe the person needs more supervision and education about the diet that they're so choosing to do. And ketogenesis is actually, it's very important really to do a lot of research and understand it and what it means to be in true ketosis before you try this. Because if you just go out there and just hail Mary it and try this, (laughs) you could end up feeling really horrible. And a lot of people do, which is can be a normal thing. But let's say genetic expression, you have some genes that you will not do well that that genetically are like, you're not going to do very well on a on a low carbohydrate diet. Some people have genes where they do really well on a high fat diet. This explains some of the reasons why you, Melissa, you do it and you feel wonderful, right? And then some of your listeners do it and they're like, ugh, I feel horrible. And that could be because of their genetic expressions. We also have this problem, again, with eating a lifetime of a high-carb, high-sugar diet. What that does is upregulates certain genes involved in sugar metabolism and fat storage and then downregulates genes that are involved in glycogen storage and fat burning. And so if you've been eating a lifetime of a hard carbohydrate, simple sugar diet, and you expect to just jump into ketosis, you're likely going to be very disappointed because your genetic expression over these years has been set up to basically metabolize glucose as your main fuel and store fat, which is why people want to, you know, they use ketosis as a tool to lose weight. And we know that the fat cell is a very hormonally active cell, okay? It produces thyroid hormone, it produces estrogens, it produces toxic byproducts, it expresses itself with a number of different genetic variances. So the fat cell, if you think you're just going to go in and just start losing fat, your fat cells are pretty smart and they've figured out how to survive especially if you do have thyroid dysregulation, if you have hormonal dysregulation, if you have leptin resistance, if you have insulin resistance, all of these things have to start coming together in order for you to really be, to really feel good on some of these diets. So I would say for you, you've been taking care of your health for a really long time. You learned about your acid reflux early on you've learned about some of your other things going on hormonally, you know, you, you've addressed these things, you, you're living this lifestyle, you cut out gluten, cut out dairy, you cut out simple sugar, you've been working on this for years. So for you to start doing keto, your body goes, yes, I can do this, because you've probably already upregulated those genes that are going to help you store glycogen in the liver and burn your fat, right? So if you're more efficient. And what I like to tell people is like, you have to start these basic lifestyle factors. Like you need to start eating less sugar. That's obvious. Like don't drink any more soda. Don't do any more simple carbohydrates. 
get the bad fats out of your life, you know, quit eating fast food, you need to start exercising. Because exercise, and we can talk about a little bit about that more is a way to actually bypass this genetic expression. So if you are expressing like fat storage, and you add exercise in that is one way to actually get around that to start burning your fat. If you haven't done any of that, and you jump into a ketogenic diet, it's going to be really difficult for you because you've likely been expressing this in your genes. Now, of course, there's more complex genes that get involved in it. And I would highly recommend that if anybody has any like family history of Alzheimer's disease, cognitive impairment, cognitive decline, or they're currently exhibiting any of those symptoms, Mm -hmm. they read a book called The End of Alzheimer's. This researcher and doctor has been reversing cognitive decline in Alzheimer's for the last 10 years, and he has the research to prove it. And he's proven that it's basically lifestyle and certain genetic expressions and the way we feed ourselves and appropriate nutrients. The Alzheimer's gene is in there. And a great way to help people with this gene, this high-risk gene, is to feed them a ketogenic diet. That's actually where I got interested in it because I read this book and I have family history of Alzheimer's disease. My great-grandmother died of it. My grandfather died of it. I watched both of them die of this horrible disease. And I had my genetics tested about eight years ago and I had my daughter's genes tested. And I found out that we both carry this high-risk allele. It used to be like a Duffins. Used to be like if you had this allele, oh, well, just give in and you're going to have Alzheimer's. Well, we know that is changing because science is proving that we have control over these genetic expressions by the way we feed ourselves, by the way we move. So these are great resources to understand why some people do really good. Like if you have a high risk APOE gene, you might want to eat ketogenic because that's going to support your cognitive health. But there's other people who try ketogenesis, they just don't feel good on it. It's not meant for everybody. And I think that's where I'm learning your genetics and maybe even getting tested, you know, through 23andMe and something. It can be a really valuable tool, especially if you're struggling with getting into ketogenesis. It's awesome. And actually, just for the record, I do actually eat dairy. I did some food testing and and I'm okay with dairy. I did cut out some other things. And so I just wanted to make sure. Well, I, I kind of generalized that. Yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I know you did, but I, my readers. Because most people are, don't do good with dairy or gluten. And some people yes. do. I do okay with certain types of dairy. I don't do good with others. That doesn't always mean like the more I found out about myself, like I really like to eat some dairy, but that doesn't mean I should be eating dairy every day because I know I have these propensities to go down one road that I don't want to go down. But some people can. I think that's also knowing your body. Yeah. I think the problem is, and and you probably realize this, and your listeners realize this, because they're learning about their health. They're health conscious. I mean, they're homesteading, for gosh sake. They've learned that they got to cut the toxins out of their life. They got to start doing it yourself. Even just cooking a meal for yourself, like how healing is that? We have to understand that so many of the choices that we make, we just need to listen to our body because usually our body will tell us. Our genes are talking to us. They're like, yo, that's a horrible decision. Why do you do that? And I think what we do as a society is we've learned to basically out-listen our genes. We don't listen very well traditionally in this culture, and we definitely don't listen to our bodies well. 
if you feel it in your gut for one and your head and you know it's not right, it's probably not. Yeah. Not everybody does bad with everything. I generalize sometimes, but yeah, no, yeah. that's fine. And if anybody, if this is your first time listening to this part of the series, this is episode number 128. And in episode number 127, I talk in detail about figuring out what your trigger foods are. And we go into food testing a lot. So make sure you go back and listen to that. And to get to any of the links and the entire blog post and transcript of today's episode, you can go to melissaknorris.com slash 128, because this is episode number 128. And we're going to have some fabulous things for you guys. One of the things that I want to jump back to a little bit when we were talking about, which the DNA is fascinating. I was already going to have it tested. It's kind of one of those things that I wanted to do and that I just haven't, but I am totally, when we get off here, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm really excited. It's so fascinating. When I had it done, it wasn't as affordable and it's so affordable. It's so easy. You spit in a thing and you send it in. Now it's getting the, the data interpreted that's a little harder. And sometimes you need a healthcare practitioner who's experienced in these things to go through that with you. But I'll have something for your listeners that they can get that will have some of those resources to do that so that they can get the information they need from the data that you get from those. Perfect. So guys, that is going to be to get the link to that, that Hillary is going to put together for us to help you with that and to get that information. You can go to the show notes and you can also just go to melissaknorris.com slash DNA, and that will directly link you to the resource that Hillary is going to put together for us. So thank you so much for that. I'm excited. One of the things we were talking about, which that makes a lot of sense when you say that that's why some people thrive on keto and some people don't, which brings me to a couple of our reader questions. The first one is people talk about, especially not just with keto, but almost anytime you're doing low carb, but especially with keto because it is so low carb and and carb restrictive. They talk about the keto flu. So when people are trying to do it or starting to get in, especially the first, you know, week or two, they feel really cruddy. Like Mm -hmm. they almost feel like they have the flu. One, is there any way, and like you said already, just to start reducing your sugar now, but is there any way to help avoid that? Is that a genetic thing? Do you have any tips or thoughts? Yeah, sure. Some people don't ever get it and some people go through hell for a week and they usually stop doing it because they think something's really wrong. I think that it's important to remember that again, those, like we said, the fat cells are these hormonally active cells. And part of ketosis is that you are using fat now for an energy source. Whereas before you were using glucose and your body could just store fat. So when we start to break down fat, that means that everything that was in that fat cell is going to come into your bloodstream. That could include your hormones and recycling. That could include heavy metals. That could include all kinds of things. You're going to feel lousy for a little bit. The job of your body, though, is once that stuff comes into the bloodstream, you're supposed to be able to detoxify it and then eliminate either through sweat, urine, or feces. So those are obviously three things that are super important going pee, going poop, and sweating, okay? And those are three ways to eliminate during the keto flu. You want to make sure you're doing that. And one of, obviously, the side effects of keto can be constipation, which obviously counteracts this whole thing of going to the bathroom, especially in women because estrogen is kind of a natural constipator. So constipation is a big problem for a lot of women. And if you start keto, you may notice that you have a lot of constipation 
which is not helping the matter of getting it out. So if you are having keto flu symptoms with constipation, thinking about doing some fiber, you know, maybe more fiber vegetables, even a fiber supplement, just to get your bowels moving, right? Because the other thing is, when people start eating bunch of vegetables, and they've never done that, your gut kind of goes like, what? Vegetables? And it, it get, you can get constipated. So water, fiber, and movement, exercise stimulates the colon to move will help with that. Some of the symptoms of that flu could be you could have fatigue, you could actually have more sugar cravings, right? That's natural. Your body's like, give me sugar. You can get dizziness, brain fog, nausea, can't sleep, you get stomach pain, that kind of stuff. It usually lasts about a week for most people if you're staying diligent and you're doing some of the things to help it. One is you, you need to probably have some more calories. And maybe you're not getting enough calories with this diet and you maybe need to eat a little bit more fat. Again, assessing if you're eating the right fats. Okay. Yes. And I think that's where people get really confused because yeah. we're used to fat. We think of, I think of fat is like butter and meaty, like you know, bacon. People think of fat, but you need to be getting the right kinds of fats you need to research those types of fats and you shouldn't be eating trans fats. You shouldn't be eating hydrogenated oils, you know, all these things. And so making sure that you're getting enough of that fat in your diet, but they're the right fats. That's going to be really important. And then yeah. upping your calories, maybe, you know, figuring out what, what your calories are you need per day. And I don't know if you did this with, um, in the last podcast, but you, there's kind of a simple like math formula that you can do to kind of figure out, how many per your body weight, how many calories per day you need of each. Yeah, no, and, I didn't. So I'd love to okay. hear that. And then I do want to touch point on talking about upping your fat if you are suffering from those symptoms, but also that has to do with the constipation that I found over doing this for almost a year on and off. And then especially the last eight weeks straight that will help with that. But let's grab, what yeah. is that formula? I will also put this in my, you know, my reference sheet on this so that you have it, but it takes, a, you know, that flu is giving you about a week to do it. So that formula is you, there's three things you need to keep in mind. So you need to take your body weight in pounds and then multiply it by 10. Okay. So okay. if you weigh 200 pounds, let's say you're going to multiply it by 10. So that's 2000 calories. Mm -hmm. If you're sedentary, then multiply it by eight. So if you're not exercising, multiply it by eight. And okay. then if you're really active and you're already like exercising quite a bit, you want to multiply it by 10. Okay. okay. So you kind of figure out what your activity level is and you use that number. So then when you, when you get that number, then to figure out how much carbohydrate you need to, that you, that you need is if you figure out what your percent carbohydrate is, and usually that's going to be about, oh, about a hundred grams. So about 100 grams of carbohydrate is about 400 calories. Or you've got to figure it into your, this might be a little hard to explain over a podcast, but from that number, that 2000, let's say, which is your caloric number, you're going to figure out how much carbohydrate you need because uh, what would you be 10% carbohydrate, let's say, 5 yeah. to 10%. Yeah. Okay? And then your protein would be, 10 to 15 percent and then your fat would be that 70 to 80 percent okay that's going to help you be able to break it down let's say somebody 
I'll just take it, the one I have in front of me, 190 pounds, I multiply it by 10. I need to eat 400 calories of carbohydrate a day. I need to eat 600 calories of protein, and I need to eat 900 calories of fat. Remember, carbohydrates are, what is it, four calories per gram per serving, or is it four, four, and nine? Fat is nine. That's why your calories of fat are so high, right? Right. It's hard for me to explain, but I'll have it written out for people so they can just fill it in. <laughs> and then yeah. you can figure out. And that's really important because this is another thing. People think like, okay, I need to lose weight. I'll just eat less calories. Mm-hmm. That's not a good strategy. You're not only radically changing your diet and expecting your body now to burn fat if you starve it. Like ketogenesis, I think a lot of people think is like you're starving your body. That's not what's happening here. We're actually trying to get your body to use your fat and burn it for fuel. And that takes energy. You can't not eat enough calories. Otherwise, you're going to feel lousy. You're not going to have enough energy. That's really important. So I'll have that formula there so you guys can figure out exactly how many calories you need for your weight and obviously and your activity level. So as you lose weight and you increase activity, that number will change. You're going to have to keep up on that. I have patients every month assess it. What's your weight? How active are you being? And then reassess how many calories you need per day. And it'll be obvious is the more active you are per day, the more calories you're going to need, even if you're losing weight. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. And I noticed the first time I did keto, so the first time that I ever did it, I did have some symptoms about the first three days. So those first three days, and my husband too, because we did it together. In the first three days, both of us, by that third day, we were hungry, like really hungry. But then by the time we hit that fourth day, we were fine. We weren't hungry anymore. That's when for us, now that I, now that I know what I know and I've been doing this for a while, that was when we flipped the switch and we actually hit ketosis. And then we weren't hungry anymore. But the other thing now looking back is when you first start doing this, we are so conditioned to not eat a lot of fat that most of the time we're, you're not eating enough fat, just like you said. Yeah. You're, you're feeling hungry because you're not eating enough of the fat. The constipation thing totally happened for me. Mm-hmm. What I noticed is if I eat enough coconut oil, which also helps you hit your fat levels, it's got the mm-hmm. MCTs in there for you, your multi-chain triglycerides, which is great for your brain health. If I put a tablespoon of coconut oil in my coffee in the morning and do you can do it with tea if you're not a coffee drinker, it, it's following a basic formula of what bulletproof coffee is known among with keto dieters. Or I'll make what I call a fat bomb, and that's where the basis of it is coconut oil, and you can put things in it like cocoa powder if you want a little bit of stevia for it to be sweetened. But as long as I'm having at least a tablespoon of coconut oil a day, that has mm-hmm. totally helped me to regulate and then to not have the hunger as well. And that's kind of an easy way to get some extra fat in there, but it's a good healthy fat. Yeah, so- coconut's great. You know, it's great now because it's available like at Costco, organic coconut oil. So it's affordable to not be affordable. And now, now you have that option to, to eat that. And it, the other thing is hydration. I think a lot of people are dehydrated and yes. they don't realize it. And ketogenesis actually dehydrates you because it pulls salts. So there's two things that are really important. There's again, another thing we've vilified in our society is salt. 
you can't do ketogenesis effectively if you're not eating enough salt to replace the salt that you're going to lose. So water and salt are two really important things too that you should be supplementing with. Not supplementing, like you should just be eating more salt, good healthy salts. You should make sure you're drinking enough water. I mean, some people are constipated because they just are dehydrated. Your colon's job is to pull water from your stool. So if you're dehydrated, you're not going to go to the bathroom because you have no water in your stool. And right. your colon keeps thinking you're dehydrated, so it keeps pulling water out of your stool to feed your organs. You need two liters a day of water just to feed your organs, just for your organs to function. If you're doing ketogenic, you need to be make sure that you're hydrating, and especially if you're exercising. That hydration is really important. And then the salt and electrolyte supplementation can be very effective for this keto flu because one of the mechanisms behind this is that you start to burn up glycogen stores. Glycogen is your liver's storage capacity for glucose. It's kind of what your liver uses in backup. When it thinks you're starving, it starts to produce this. And so what you want to do as you get it, you get more fat adapted is you want to start burning up glycogen stores. And to do that, you start urinating more. And when yes. you start urinating more, you lose more fluid and you lose electrolytes. I always tell patients, you're going to feel better if you do some electrolyte supplementation. And that can be as simple as a great homemade formula that I love is a gallon of water, juice from a full lemon, a teaspoon of sea salt, and a teaspoon of sugar of some sort like honey or because sugar, glucose, you have to have it for water osmolarity, for water to move in and out of the cell. So you're not eating a bunch of sugar, you're just putting a little in this gallon of water to help you actually absorb those electrolytes into your cell. So that's a cheap electrolyte drink. You can also get electrolyte drinks out there on the market, but you want to make sure they don't have a bunch of sugar in them, you know, a bunch of fructose and all these other sugars right. that and obviously dies. you don't want. Yes, and, and that does. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. I'll make sure, guys, in the show notes that we've got that written down for you, so I can even put it on a little print button. You can go and grab that because that's a great one. I do. I do a very similar one. Oftentimes, I'll swap it out for lime because I love mm-hmm. lime. <laughs> I'll do a lime yeah. one and throw Any a little bit of-, of citrus. Gives you that nice electrolyte boost. Gives you acid. You need that. Potassium comes from from those. Those fruits. Yeah. And another um, thing that I'll do too, especially when it's cold out, is I am a huge bone broth aficionado. Yeah. And so I will just use bone broth and throw in, you know, just sprinkle on there a little bit of extra. I use the sea salt, pink mineral, Redmond's mm-hmm. real salt, and just put some of that on top of it and sip that. And then I'm getting lots of wonderful things from there too. But yeah, just kind of have something there that you're sipping on all day long. Mm-hmm is really helpful with keto. And I've noticed too, if headaches, if I don't yeah. drink enough water and a lot of, sometimes people will complain about that too on keto about headaches or when they're going low carb. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with, just like you said, with dehydration. And so that can really help if you're having that too and help you to avoid that. Now, what about if somebody is a diabetic? Because a lot of times people get mm-hmm. confused with ketosis and ketoacidosis, which they are two different mm-hmm. things. But is keto yeah. something that someone who is a type 1 diabetic mm-hmm. and or type 2, but a little bit of difference with them there, is keto something that they could do or what should they keep in mind if they decide to try it? To touch on diabetes 1 first, obviously it's an autoimmune disease and they don't produce any insulin. 
So right. they don't have any control over their pancreas. Their beta cells have been destroyed and they require insulin to live basically, meaning injectable insulin or whatever. So type one is a little bit, I, I would say if you're a type one diabetic, you probably need to have some careful monitoring if you're gonna do this because one of the big risk factors for type one diabetics is the possibility that that high blood sugar with high blood lipids, which is, is your cholesterols and, and ketoacidosis. So you kind of get this mixture where part of the ketogenic thing is you get this ketoacidosis and that's kind of another thing that makes you feel lousy until you get balanced. but. If you're a type 1 diabetic, you're constantly struggling with managing proper insulin and blood sugar levels. You're either high or you're low and you're good. I mean, really diligent type 1 diabetics, it's all consuming. You know, every time you take a bite of a banana or you do this, you don't exercise enough. You're constantly dealing with insulin. If you have a lot of these other side effects going on with ketogenesis, where both your glucose and your ketones are high, you have predisposition to causing all kinds of problems, as well as going into what we call diabetic ketoacidosis. That's dangerous. That will kill you. That is one of the side effects. So if you're a poorly managed type 1 diabetic and you do not understand your insulin and blood sugar as well, which unfortunately, I hate to say it, a lot of them don't because their endocrinologists just don't educate them properly, is that I don't know if you should do ketogenesis unsupervised. Okay, okay. and that's good. Um, it's good. To, that's really good to know. Yeah, keto. So type two diabetes is it can be a different story because type two diabetics do have some beta cells left. It's just that their beta cells are kind of sluggish. It's like your beta cells just were like, fine, you didn't want to listen to me for this long. I'm just not going to do the work. So you become insulin resistant, but you still have some beta cells, and that's why. In a lot of cases, if people are very diligent with their diet and they do it correctly, they can actually reverse type 2 diabetes. Getting into ketogenesis can be, again, a little bit more difficult for you, especially if you are not regulating your blood sugars correctly and you're having elevated blood sugar and then you expect to have elevated ketones, bad mix. This is where getting your insulin resistance in check is the key. This is also another thing where exercise and movement, all these things, like I said before, that kind of go around some of these genetic tendencies, they also increase the cell's ability to uptake glucose. Ketogenesis for type 2 diabetics, if done correctly, can be very beneficial for them. But again, you have to be careful not to go into ketoacidosis. So this is where kind of common sense and knowing your numbers and understanding what your insulin is doing is really important. If you're a poorly managed diabetic of either type one or type two, this is not the diet for you to try right now. Okay. If you are managed and you understand it, then, you know, especially for type two, you can use it for type two. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, this is just so fascinating. There's so much we could talk about for hours and hours, but I do want to make yeah. sure that we hit those, those questions too and cover stuff. So one of the other ones, and we, you touched on this actually when you were talking about our fat cells and the way that they store our hormones, so many things, but yeah. with hormone imbalance, and this one I'm really interested in, I know a lot of my listeners are too, is with the keto diet or in your diet too in general, helping with hormone imbalance because I am estrogen dominant and so... Mm -hmm. 
I've had a lot of symptoms with that and they're under control now, but does the keto diet actually, can it help with hormone imbalance or help you regulate your hormones? And I realize when I'm saying hormones, there is a ton of hormones. I mean, our thyroid is a hormone and then you've got estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, all of those, but does that, can it help with regulating or kind of getting you back on track or not really? I think that as I would say yes. I, I be, so hormones are a very complicated subject. Like yes. you just listed off just a few hormones. <laughs> yeah. Fat cells, like I said, they have their whole, own hormonal thing going on. And once you start to learn, once you, once you start to become a fat burner instead of a fat store, you will over time eventually change your hormonal protocol. If we're not even talking about just ketogenesis in general, I mean, what happens with most people if they do ketogenesis right and they need to lose weight? If they do it right, they lose weight and they feel better. And that's what, and it's the same difference as if you were doing another diet and you were losing weight, right? What you're doing is you're changing your body and your hormonal profile from being a fat store to a fat burner. In men, for example, what we see, and we see this somewhat in women as well, but I, I, just, uh, I just got done doing a testosterone online pro- program for men. And so I'm kind of in the men's male hormonal pathway here. If yeah. you were to just take estrogen and kind of replace it for testosterone, because estrogen is the main female hormone, you have a little bit of testosterone. And then obviously testosterone is the men's male, main hormone. But if you kind of think of estrogen and testosterone working the same way in men or women is, is that when you decrease blood sugar and you decrease insulin, so your insulin is what we call sensitive and it's doing the job it's supposed to, right? Right. Uh, what we see is that the, the cells are working more efficiently. Therefore, the fat is not storing. It's your bo- and what your body will do is it will naturally have this increase in testosterone human growth hormone, those two will go up. So in women, estrogen will go up some to help you burn fat. And you got to be careful because estrogen can be fat storing and fat burning, but it will balance those kind of burning hormones, especially human growth hormone to help you burn that fat. And at the same time, we'll see leptin go down. We'll see insulin go down. We'll see some other hormones that are fat storing go down. And so what it's about is it's kind of more about your hormonal pathway is more about getting you to be a more efficient fat burner. And um, that takes some time. And that involves that whole process that we talked about with becoming, with kind of learning how, how fast and how well you can get rid of fat. And that's where the hormones would play into it. Now we see estrogen dominance in everybody today. It's a very common condition, mainly because of the exposures that we have. Right. Men especially are being heavily affected by this because obviously they have a little bit of estrogen, but nothing like we do, right? And right. so they're experiencing really kind of detrimental things in their physiology by being exposed to all these estrogens in the environment. And estrogen is more of a natural fat store. So 
it's think about it when you're younger and you're having babies and you're do you know you're you're you want a little bit of weight on right you got to if you're going to grow a baby you need lots of estrogen right but women also need estrogen for our bones we need it for our bone strength we need it for organ function we need it for our brain health so what happens in menopause well your estrogen goes down quite a bit right mm-hmm. and so women start to lose bone mass we start to lose a um, muscle estrogen it also works with fat but it also helps you build a lean muscle so it works with testosterone and growth hormone to help you build a lean muscle but if you have too much estrogen the body's got to do something with it right yeah and then you see and then it's a vicious circle cuz sometimes it's like, well, not sometimes. So now let's say you've gained a bunch of weight over your lifetime by eating poorly and not exercising. Well, you just have more fat cells. Well, fat creates estrogen too. So it's not just your ovaries producing estrogen. Now your fat cells are making estrogen. So it's like a hamster on a wheel, right? You've gained all this weight and now you're trying, now you have all this excess estrogen because you have all this excess fat, not to mention all the chemicals in your environment and the plastics in your environment and all that. So it's like, as women and men, we, we need to be careful of how much fat that we don't need that we're storing on our body because that fat is producing estrogens, it's absorbing toxins, and it's holding on to a lot of that. Again, why you feel like crap when you start losing fat cells, because <laughs> all that stuff is dumping into your bloodstream. So it's kind of this thing where, where hormones are like really in balance and they have this really good sweet spot where they love to build lean muscle, help you burn fat, keep enough fat so your organs function, right? And your brain functions, which is ketogenesis, right? Help you be an efficient burner. But what we see today is the excess of everything is creating our hormones to just either one, be overworking, underappreciated, exhausted. And then in a lot of cases, like we see with adrenal hormones is they just completely or thyroid and adrenal, they just go, sorry, I'm not doing this anymore. We yeah, see diabetes. Yeah. This is why diabetes happens. The pancreas is an amazing organ. It will produce insulin for you for most of your life unless you abuse it. And then at some point, it's like the little boy who cried wolf. It says, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore, right? And those beta cells just start dying off or they start start getting sluggish. And the next thing you know, you have diabetes. Yeah. And so these are all things that they work really syn- synergistically together. But the diet is really key to keeping you in that sweet spot. And that's why ketogenesis can be really powerful for a lot of people because it, it, it trains your body to efficiently burn what you don't need. Yeah. And that is excess fat. Now in the winter, I guess if you lived out in a teepee or a longhouse and it's cold, you know, people put on fat and they ate more fat. They ate more protein like Eskimo, you know, I don't think, I don't, I can't say that anymore. You know, Alaska natives, I mean, some of these tribes, they eat nothing but fat and protein. Right. And they're not overweight. They have extra fat on them, but this is what keeps them living in those climates, you know? Right. You can't live in those climates without some blubber. It's just kind of how it is. So I think it's, I think it's a, it's a big, complicated picture. But look, think of it as just really like, am I a fat bo- burner? Am I a fat store? And if I do this diet, what starts happening to my body? Do I start feeling worse? Do I start feeling more depressed? Do I start gaining more weight? 
well, you're probably not doing something right, or your genetics aren't really set up for that, you know, but the majority of people, they slowly start feeling better, right? Yeah. They slowly start losing weight. They slowly start having more brain function and energy and stuff. So there's always going to be a percent that not these things don't work for, but right. I think, I think you got to look at hormones and it's just, uh, is, is uh, your body does work and you need to do work too. So yeah. your hormones are constantly working for you, but if you don't help them out, they will start working against you. Got and it. <laughs> no, maybe a long answer to a short. No, but it, no, but it's really good because I mean, like, like you said, I mean, I, I have hypothyroidism, so I have low thyroid, my yeah. adrenal glands weren't functioning as they should. So I've got that whole, you know, that little triangle there. And then it was estrogen dominant. So my progesterone levels were really low. So was my testosterone levels actually by lab. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually on really low dose prescription testosterone cream right mm -hmm. now. And so I'm, you know, and part of that, you know, I'm really hoping that a lot of that will reverse as I is I stick with doing, you know, ketosis and I'm noticing a big difference already. It, like I said, in yeah. symptoms, all of that stuff. So I'm really excited to get the gene testing done to see how that correlates. And let me just say one quick thing is that there's a few things that I think, you know, everybody should take into consideration before they even start this, you know, where are their other hormones at, right? Are they, or do they have their thyroid under control? What are their other sex hormones doing? What are their adrenals doing? Adrenal fatigue is a really big problem. And if you try to start ketoacidosis with adrenal issues, you're going to have a lot of problems because adrenals, they balance your water, they balance your electrolytes. You know, people that have inflammatory conditions and elevated cholesterols and all these kinds of things, they, they usually have adrenal issues. And most of it is because we're all chronically stressed. You know, we're, we're just stressed out in ways that, that our ancestors weren't. And so it, it's important to, I think, address some of these, these other systems in your body and kind of build them up maybe a little bit or get the support like you're getting the support, you know, before you just jump into a diet like this and then you wonder why you feel so lousy. It's, yeah. it's not, you know, diet is meant to really be a foundation for all your health. But if you've trashed your health for a while or you just haven't been feeling really good or you have a chronic illness or you're chronically inflamed and your mitochondria aren't working and producing a lot of energy, you know, burning fat for energy requires energy. And if you don't have that, um, it's going to be kind of a letdown for you. So that's where I would say, you know, either see a naturopathic physician or, you know, there's lots of resources now to figure these things out and to, to address some of your health conditions and concerns before you maybe just jump into things that's you know, people are talking about and liking it, you know, without, without more understanding of what your body needs. And yeah. adrenal fatigue is a big one because everybody's stressed out. So right. I would, I always like to address that. And speaking of, you know, health conditions and everything, we actually had one reader comment or question. And so she wanted, she actually has a couple of them, which we've talked about some of them in constipation where, you know, with some people with cutting out all of those grains and stuff. We talked about how you can get constipated on the keto diet and ways to combat that. But with, is it doing a ketogenic diet? Is it okay for running and race training? And then she also wanted to know about safety. If you have heart disease or a strong family history of heart disease, stroke, and diabetes, which we talked about the diabetes. And then she mm -hmm. also mentioned a condition, condition that I'm not familiar with, polymyalgia rheumatica. PMR for short. I don't, I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> so let's see. So to answer the first part of that, that question, 
Yes, I think if she's so I'm I'm assuming if she's running and training, she's been doing that. That's a fairly new thing in her life. Or that's probably not a new thing in her life. You know, if if she has been an she's been a athlete for a while in training and her body is is used to that, then using ketogenesis can be a great tool to basically burn more fat. I think you need to be careful though, possibly with maybe the type of exercise, like how much excessive endurance exercise are you doing or et cetera. But there are a number of researchers and folks out there who use ketogenesis as a training tool and, and that becoming more efficient at burning fats gives you longer lasting energy and you act, you will have better results without what we call the bonk. And the bonk is when your bo- your brain is used to being and your muscles are used to being fueled only on glucose Mm-hmm. that you hit a wall at some point, right? And anybody who's an endurance athlete or does anything extreme, you know, you, you, you know what that is, is you hit the wall and your body is basically, you can no longer even absorb glucose. Glucose is an easy energy source, right? Our body doesn't have to, it's an easy energy source, but it has many more steps that it has to go through enzymatically to happen. Does that make sense? It does make Whereas sense. Whereas yeah. the reason people want to get into ketosis, usually if you look at the biochemistry, it takes less steps to burn fat. So you're, yeah. you're, you're becoming more efficient, right? Yes. So instead of having, you know, you're just more efficient. Your body can create energy with four steps instead of like, instead of like 12, right? Which is what glucose has to do. But if you've trained your body, which most people have, to use glucose as an energy source, and that's what you're used to using when you train, is you're now going to have to train your body, right, mm-hmm. to quit utilizing glucose. And this is where this is where your protein intake kind of plays in that too. You got to be careful. Most people think, oh, I can just eat a little more protein, especially yeah. if you're active. And you got to be careful because protein will activate gluconeogenesis, so it will increase glucose. And so if you're going to modify anything, especially if you're active, it's probably more either complex carb or fat, increasing your good fat and seeing how that works. But I think with training, it's fine. I mean, people use it all the time as a very efficient way to train. Like I said, it takes less energy to do. The PMV, what was the, tell me what the, the disorder was again, sorry. That's okay. And I'm probably butchering it, but polymyalgia rheumatica. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so yeah. Polymyalgia rheumatica is like, a, it's basically like rheumatica is joint pain, right? Um, you go to the rheumatologist, they deal with joints and it's usually in different joints. So polymyalgia means bunch of different joints. You have okay. stiffness or pain and some people can have it like just certain parts of the day. Mm-hmm. Some people can have it all day it kind of depends. I mean, usually we see it in association with headaches. There's certain types of headaches. And I don't know about it. I don't know exactly about um, the PMR. But I do know this is, is that if you have this condition, and you have pain and stiffness in your neck and shoulders, in your hips, whatever, I think people too also have a lot of fatigue and kind of a lack of appetite. Um, and Uh, They also can suffer from anemia. 
And so it's important if you have this condition, one, to know all your numbers, right? You don't want to be anemic. That's not helping you. That's causing you more pain and fatigue. And if you have, you know, if, if you're not eating enough, it's going to be hard on ketogenesis to consume that much fat, right? Because fat's really filling. It's kind of hard to eat <laughs> that much fat until you learn how to, right? And so it can be, I would say that because of the fatigue and the pain that can come with it, I would see it as helping in the long term. It's just going to be a hump to get over in the beginning because some of the similar symptoms you can have with the keto flu is what you're experiencing with the PM. Okay. PMR, right? Good to know. Yeah. So yeah. with they don't really know what causes it. You know what you know how conventional medicine treats it? They give you corticosteroids. Right. You know, yeah. which is pretty much what all rheumatology does. Yes. Um, if you're a rheumatologist out there, I hate to say that, but it, it's like everything needs a corticosteroid and in, in, my, in my view, it's like probably diet would help hugely. So to me, if you're cutting out sugar, simple carbohydrates, gluten, all these things that we know, like dairy even, that irritate, that can irritate the joints, that alone might be huge for you, right? Yeah. That alone. Now you're giving yourself healthy fats, so you're getting lubrication of your joints. Again, you're hydrating, you're getting hydration. So uh, I think it's not going to happen overnight. But we do know that ketogenesis can decrease some of the inflammatory cytokines that are produced in these conditions that yeah. make the condition worse. Um, yeah. I, I've noticed, I don't have any of those conditions. I just thought, you know, I was hitting my mid thirties and, and when I started doing keto, I was amazed like, you know, we have a wood fireplace. So I've been down and I'm on my knees when I'm putting wood in the fire. And I didn't even realize that, you know, like when you stand up, I'm like, Ooh, you know, if I'd been down on the, the floor for a little bit, like, Oh man, that kind of hurts. I'm getting old. And then after I got into doing keto, I bent down to put wood in the fire and I stood up and I'm like, that didn't hurt. Like there's no, there's not even a twin. Yeah. And so the inflammation was huge for me. And I didn't even realize that I was really that inflamed. But speaking of all this healthy fat, a lot of people worry about cholesterol levels or heart disease, stroke, and that type of thing, which mm -hmm. consuming the keto diet, which is such high levels of fat. So yeah. and from a medical standpoint, what do you think about that? If someone has well, cholesterol, I, I, will, I will be one of these rebels to go out on a limb. I am a naturopath, so I'm considered a, I'm, I'm already considered a wacky <laughs> You're outsider. an alternative, yes. <laughs> and the whole I will debunk the whole cholesterol thing because we know fat is an essential piece of, uh, well, hormones, yes. we hormones, if you don't have cholesterol. And I think we have to differentiate, differentiate between fats and cholesterols. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you're eating large amounts of saturated fat, so you have these big, long fatty chains, saturated fat takes a lot of energy for your body to burn those things up. And they can cause more inflammation. And so you probably don't want to be eating like a big fatty marbled steak every night. That is not good for your heart, right? Because it does contain lots of saturated fat and it contains a lot of cholesterol. But my guess is, is that what's happening is that we're seeing elevated cholesterols and heart disease in higher rates than ever because people are eating too many sugars and carbohydrates. Okay. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole, and if you want to go back in history is, is that cholesterol and fat were basically vilified mm -hmm. by the sugar industry. And 
And the people who did the research were well-founding folks way back when they were researching the effects of cholesterol and heart disease. And they did find some correlations, right, between saturated fats and these things. But what we know over time is, is that is that the sugar industry, that is when the sugar industry started really taking off. And so we started in, let's say in the 40s, pre, pre-war, pre-World War II, or even pre-50s era, you know, leave it to beaver area, era, yeah. people ate consistently higher fat diets and they ate, they ate things like liver and organ meats. Yes. And not only were those organ meats high in fat and cholesterol, they were also high in essential nutrients like folates, B vitamins, and all the things that you need for enzymatic processes throughout your body to support your genetics and to support metabolic behavior and hormonal function. And so you rarely heard of cardiovascular disease. You rarely heard of diabetes. You rarely heard of the conditions that we now deal with only a short 50 or 60 years later. And I would, I would guess that that is from the way in which we drastically changed our diets, going from a more high fat diet where we're eating organ meats and getting lots of natural nutrients within our foods that was then vilified by the establishment and people quit eating it. Don't eat liver. It's high in cholesterol. It will give you a heart attack. Therefore, people quit eating liver. Eat margarine instead of <laughs> butter because margarine is better for you. Butter yes. will give you a heart attack. And, and shortening. We, oh. Yes, and yes. shortening. So what we see is really a half a century of people being fed high-sugar, high simple-carbohydrate diets, decreasing fatty and cholesterol-filled foods, and we are elevated. We have, we have more cardiovascular now, disease now than ever. Oh, yeah. Not only that, we are putting people on statins at, like, alarming rates. Yes. So when I was in medical school, now a normal total cholesterol was 225. Ten years later, it's now 200. And I'm not saying that's just to put more people on statins, but it sure is convenient. And you also need to break down lipid particles. You need to understand people's genetics and their history and how their cholesterols work. So I really think that if people return more to this ancestral, higher fat, high nutrient diets, like eating more organ meats, eating, getting more of their natural B vitamins and folates from leafy greens, from organ meats, from cholesterols, from fats, getting these things we'd see a lot less heart disease. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and too, like when, when you're eating this way, when you're doing it the right way, which is Hillary and I both have been stressing that, it it is not eating, you know, a bucket of margarine for your fat. I mean, it this is from doing it from a whole foods perspective that we're, we're talking about. But the amazing thing that I've discovered when doing it too, and so is my husband, is one, when I've tried to do so-and-so diets in the past, not a keto diet, but, you know, where you're just dieting is I was hungry. And it felt like I was starving myself. And that was the only way that I lost weight. And I couldn't sustain that for a long period of time because nobody wants to be hungry all the time. It just doesn't right. work long-term, which is why we have such a huge society of yo-yo dieting, you know, where you lose weight and then you gain a ton back and you go back and forth. But when I'm eating the ketogenic diet and eating it from whole foods, vegetables, you know, good quality meats and those fats, one, I, we both eat way 
less. Like our hormone, I mean, the like your gremlin levels and your hunger levels, all of those, like we're just not as hungry. We eat less food, but we're not hungry. And so for me, it's actually been very, very freeing because I'm not hungry and I'm not constantly, you know, trying to, I mean, in the beginning you do track your macros. So like you were talking about, you know, your calories and making sure that you are getting enough fat grams and that your carb grams where you're keeping them. But after a while of doing it, you kind of intuitively know, you know, from looking at that, what it is. And so I've actually found a lot of food freedom with it and I'm not hungry and I feel great. So, but I, I yeah, think- having that having that extra fat is is just satiating and it keeps your blood sugar consistent for longer. That's what it does. You know, it's just even it's not it's not yo-yoing like you said because if you don't eat enough fat or even protein, really, you, your blood sugar yo-yos and that's what makes people hungry. And there's another condition right now that I'm actually seeing in patients of mine, you know, not even overweight patients. And I'm starting to see a lot of it is we traditionally only saw in people that were obese. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see it in, well, 70% of the population is overweight or obese. So, you know, yeah. the majority of people who come to the doctor are, have, are in that group, but starting to see what's called leptin resistance. And you mentioned ghrelin, but leptin, so ghrelin says, I'm hungry, let's eat. And leptin says, I'm full, stop eating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, insulin resistance, you hear a lot about that, right? Like your right. cells become in, resistant to insulin, so you can't absorb blood glucose anymore, which isn't good. And But now we're seeing this associated condition called leptin resistance because oh. when you do get full, leptin is, there's like a feedback loop with your brain. It tells your brain, okay, she's full, quit eating. And what we see with people who have more fat cells mm-hmm. and their fat stores is they have more leptin, but the feedback loop gets screwed up. So now mm. they're always hungry. They always feel hungry. They're always hungry. And, and this is a big complaint of people who are overweight, obese, and they, they're just like, people are like, well, you just need to quit eating. <laughs> and they're like, I, I know I should quit eating, but I'm not actually full. I don't feel full. So they overeat because they're trying to feel full. And what we see in the blood is leptin starts to go up because the brain is not getting the signal anymore. It's become resistant to leptin. And this is from years of overeating and eating the wrong foods. And so this is now another condition that used to be so rare. Leptin was not even something on our radars. And now we're having to test people for leptin, especially if they're obese, because if you can't get their leptin under control, they can't actually tell their bodies that they're full. Right. And so they're always hungry. And I think that's what the fat does. Once you fat adapt and you start to lose some of that excess fat, you're, you're, you're um, making your brain more sensitive to leptin. So you're full and you stay fuller longer. Yeah. And yeah. It's been, that's fascinating. I didn't actually know that about the leptin or especially that it's becoming an increasing thing. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. I think one of the interesting things too, when we look back at, I mean, going as far back as we started the whole podcast and talking about kind of an ancestral pattern of eating. And then now, even when you look back to the 1940s and fifties, and then we had this fad of the past 50 to 60 years of doing low fat and higher mm-hmm carbohydrates and grains. And you can just trace and just look at society as being a food experiment, essentially, and look at the vast amount of chronic conditions that we have used to be things that were rare. And now, you know, it's just exploding all 
all different things. And when you look at the food as a correlation and see that pattern, I find it really fascinating and I'm really excited to see this shift of getting mm-hmm. back to the whole foods and to looking at why we changed eating patterns and when we did and starting to reverse and to go back to, to go back to those ways. I, I find it all really fascinating. So well, thank you so much for this. It's important. Food is important. Food is life. And if you don't feel good on a ketogenic diet and you can't do it, just remember that choose the right foods most of the time. Mm-hmm. And you will change the way you feel. It's it's just it's just common sense. It's easier said than done, but food is really is where it starts. So yeah, no, I completely agree. <laughs> one of the things one of the things that's actually really helped me, even when I'm not doing full keto, whereas I'm not actually in ketosis by testing, but is to to think about when I go to eat something is how is this going to fuel my body? Because quite honestly, what we put in our mouths, it's either going to fuel you the right way nutritionally or it's not. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. no way that a chocolate chip cookie is going to fuel your body no matter how you want to frame it. I mean, let's just be honest. And I'm not saying never have a treat. It's so good, Melissa. It is so good. Pass up the chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) (laughs) I know. You go like, why did I eat those chocolate chip cookies? Exactly. And so that's what I try to to really think like, because there are times when I'm struggling and I will be full out honest with y'all. I made last night, fresh ground, whole, hard wheat, organic, full of butter bread. Cause I bake, I bake all of our bread here, sandwiches. And I was slicing the bread and it was still warm and I ate a piece and it tasted so good. And I'm like, I'm just having this, like, that's all organic. I made it. And you know what? This morning, my digestive system totally let me know that that wasn't the right choice. So I I don't always do it, but if I can remind myself, how is this fueling your body and how is it going to make you feel tomorrow morning or that night or whatever, that really has helped me overall to make on a chronic basis, much better decisions on what it is that I am eating. I hope that someone may find that helpful. You know, this is really the foundation of mine and my husband, Ryan's whole point. You know, I have, I've been in medical practice and I've worked with patients for, you know, I've been in the healing fields for 20 years and in private practice for 10. And we started over a year ago, like we, for 20 years, we've grown a garden. He's hunted. We've procured all our own meat. You know, we don't have the homestead you have, but on our small half acre, we, we've really tried in the last 20 years to create a lifestyle that we feel is improving us for the long term and keeping us young, helping us feel better. And, you know, it's all trial and error. We've learned over the years. And, you know, my husband started eating more fat as well and noticed his joint pains went away, you know, something we weren't doing 15 years ago. You learn, but this is our mission too, is learn your body, understand your body. Even just the simple things of of listening and getting out and growing your own food and having a having a relationship with that can make a huge difference too in how your body utilizes it, metabolizes it. Because we just have so much access now to food that we just have no idea where it comes from. We trust other people and we trust a lot of people will never meet and will never know that these animals were raised right, that the lettuce people wash their hands. I mean, we we put so much trust nowadays in other people to produce our food and to keep us healthy. And I think a big piece of this and knowing what your body, like you're making fresh bread for your children, like that's fabulous. But you know, for yourself, if you eat a bunch of that, you're just not going to feel good. Even healthy foods cannot be great for you. But it's learning that it's, it's understanding that it's having a relationship with your food. And 
you know, me and Ryan with Stealthy Hunter and, and our Hunt Harvest Health podcast, that's what we, we want to do because there's so many people who don't have that relationship with food. And I think if we created that, if we just keep up with it, like what you're doing and helping people to be more self-sufficient is that that's when you learn that and you feel that in your body, like there's nothing that there's no drug, there's no supplement, there's, there's nothing that can replace that. I feel just fortunate that we have the ability to do this, you know, it takes some hard work for sure. You know that. Yeah. And the whole fact that we have the ability right now to do something like ketogenesis, you know, to go to Costco and buy coconut oil. A hundred years ago, we would have been slaughtering our own animals and marbling the fat and pulling, you know, and creating all these things. And it's a lot harder than it is nowadays. So we actually have it easier to, to change how we feel and, and not be relying on medications and things that eventually will be the course if you aren't proactive. I just love what you're doing. You know, Ryan and I love what you're doing. We follow you. We listen to your podcast. I mean, I'm going to make soap here at some point. I ordered everything. So I'm (laughs) I'm learning. I'm learning too. However, we can support your folks out there and just get the word out that these things are important. Ketogenesis is super cool. It's super cool. It just takes some trial and error. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And actually, I have to share. We had your guys' bear steak last night for dinner, and that was that was the first time my husband hunts. We've had lots of venison and elk, yeah. and we raise all of our own meat and all of that. But none of us, my kids, my husband, none of us had had bear steak before, so that was really mm. fun. We really enjoyed it, and not gamey at all. It was no, it's really, really fatty too. If you want a good yeah. fatty meat, it's. For wild game, it's we use it for because we love the fat. It's nice and fatty, like pork. Yeah, it was great. So I had I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna be on today, and I I'm like, I gotta <laughs> mention it. You had the perfect setup there for me to to say it. So thank you. Yeah, um, it was great. It was that was really exciting actually to get to try it. It was kind of like you're excited about soap making. I'm like, oh, I get to try some <laughs> So it was awesome. Yeah, no, thank you so much. You guys have been awesome. I know we'll continue to get to do things together. I just love all the stuff that you put out there. And thank you so much for coming on and spending the time with us and with the reader questions. I find it all fascinating. And again, everybody at the show notes will have that special download that you can get from Hillary to look into doing all of those things further and and resources to help you. And thanks so much for being on. You're welcome, Melissa. I really appreciate it. Anytime. I love to talk all this nerdy stuff. So I'm always here. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode. I hope that it was just as eye-opening for you as it was for me and gives you the tools that you need as you look at your body and your diet and adjustments that you may or may need to make. Today's episode is brought to you by the Pioneering Today Academy, which is my membership site where I take my members through everything that we do here on our homestead throughout the entire year, all of the seasons, in order to raise and grow and preserve as much of our own food as possible using old-fashioned and natural methods, and then how we go about preparing and actually cooking and eating that food. I am so glad to have found those who are just as passionate and interested about this as I am. And thank you so much for letting me be part of your journey. Until next week, bye for now.